This podcast is sponsored by the Sarasota Bradenton International Airport, a world-class gateway to Florida's Gulf Coast. Served by both domestic and international carriers, SRQ is conveniently centered in a region full of exciting attractions and only minutes away from award-winning white sand beaches. It seemed last week that all the news was connected to Singapore Airlines one way or another. First, Singapore announced it was closing up shop in Brazil. Yeah, then it announced new San Francisco flights right on the heels of United's own San Francisco-Singapore flights. And we saw the end of India's 520 rule, which impacts Singapore as well. Yeah, and Virgin Australia asking all its airline investors for more money. All its airline investors, including, yes, Singapore. Well, that settles it. We're starting the show with Singapore Airlines. And really, you had me with the whole Singapore United saga. <laughs> I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We'll talk about Singapore's busy week. We'll talk about United's big plans. We'll talk about the so-called Brexit. Also, will Alaska keep the Virgin America brand? All that and more coming up on the Airline Weekly Lounge. stopping by. We're talking about Singapore Airlines, truly a global reaching airline. Let's get the small stuff out of the way. And when I say small stuff, I don't really mean small stuff. This is significant, but let's just say it's easily digestible. <laughs> Singapore is pulling out of Brazil. It's not all that surprising given the economy. Not all that surprising as well. I mean, look, Korean just recently uh, ended one of its own fifth freedom flights uh, to to Brazil, which is pretty much how airlines from distant places have to serve Brazil. In, in Singapore's case, it's actually a flight from Barcelona uh, to Sao Paulo. Singapore operates a lot of these kinds of flights around the world, kind of shows up in markets where you might not expect it, you know, whether it's Frankfurt, JFK, or or indeed Barcelona, Sao Paulo. So, uh, you know, carries some people from Singapore uh, via Barcelona to Sao Paulo, some people local, some people connecting off of other airlines, uh, but it won't be doing it anymore. Not at least come October. That's when the flight will end. So after the Summer Olympics. Uh, but yeah, Singapore impacted by the same things that everybody in that market is. Uh, the awful economy, the currency devaluation, of course, related to the economy and and the Zika virus fears. And then there's the Virgin Australia story. Uh, we've talked a lot about this, so I don't want to go too deeply. But there was a new development. Virgin Australia is now asking its investors, including Singapore and Etihad, to pony up more money. Namely, $610 million. Yeah, they could have just asked you for that, right? Right. That's they did. Maybe they change. did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much seem to be asking anybody who's willing. Uh, yeah. We, as you said, we've discussed it before, but, uh, you know, here, here's an airline that um, uh, can't seem to find its way financially uh, owned by these other airlines who all have their own sort of strategic interests. You know, they didn't necessarily buy into Virgin Australia for financial returns. Uh, they bought into it partly to you know, feed their hubs in places like Singapore and Abu Dhabi, but they probably didn't buy into it thinking they'd have have to keep coughing up more cash and, and you got to think air new zealand uh is is glad to be rid of its share in its case uh you know having what it really wants which is the joint venture still uh, but without having to uh meet this cash call that the other investors are having to meet 
Also, Virgin Australia's management is making some strides to improve performance. Were you impressed by their proposed measures? Well, I mean, it all seems to make sense. You know, improve aircraft utilization and the rest of it, simplify their their fleet somewhat. You know, the the question is whether it'll be enough. Um, you know, here's an airline that in its better days uh, was was this this moderately successful low cost carrier, sort of swallowed all kinds of cost and complexity, you know, the long haul flights and, and the business class, all the rest of it, uh, without the accompanying revenue to show for it. Um, and, and that's where it is now. It, you know, all the things they mentioned, sure, it all seems sensible. Uh, you know, the question is, will it be enough to uh, to move the needle and, and to do so quickly? Because this is an airline that you know really needs to turn things around as quickly as possible. Singapore Airlines got some good news out of India. The so-called 520 rule is ending. Yeah, the rule that until I required airlines to be in business five years and have at least 20 aircraft before they could fly abroad from India, anywhere abroad, you know, whether near abroad uh, or, or uh, long-haul flights to you know, who knows, the U.S. and elsewhere. Uh, so, yeah, good news for Singapore Airlines. Why? Well, because uh, it's a major shareholder in a rather new Indian airline called Vistara. So now Vistara will have the... Uh, the opportunity to uh, to fly up abroad, who knows, perhaps to the distant uh, abroad at some point, although it would need wide body aircraft uh, for that. Air Asia, uh, India, uh, another notable airline that 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 has that opportunity. There are some restrictions still uh, for for these airlines that uh, uh, that want to do this before the five years are up. Um, you know, in terms of they have to still promise a certain amount of domestic. Uh, flying and so forth, but uh, but yeah, you know, good news for anybody who has one of those airlines, who owns one of those airlines, or part of it uh, that was impacted by the rule. Not so good news if you're, you know, let's say Jet Airways uh, or an airline that's already permitted to fly abroad. You now might have a little more competition. But the most intriguing Singapore story was that the airline will be flying to San Francisco starting in October. That's curious because United flies that route, and they are Alliance partners. But it gets even weirder than that, doesn't it? It does. And now, look, this wouldn't be the first time that that uh, two alliance partners didn't see eye to eye on anything. I mean, look, we mentioned in a different context, Korean Air just before, you know, Korean and Delta, two alliance partners that you know, very clearly have had their differences. Uh, Lufthansa and, and Turkish Airlines, two airlines that... Uh, in some realms, work very closely together uh, you know, on Sun Express, for example, which they uh, which they own jointly. But you know, clearly haven't seen eye to eye in terms of Turkish's rapid growth and uh, taking some of what you know Lufthansa sees as its traffic, uh, connecting Istanbul places in uh, you know, from places in Europe to uh, elsewhere in the world that that Turkish serves. So you know, these things happen all the time. The thing here, though, is, is that um, United and Singapore, uh, you know, we noticed in, in a regulatory filing just a few weeks ago, uh, got the clearance to do a, a very broad blanket code share. Basically, they can code share on all of each other's flights. They requested that permission uh, about a month earlier. And that doesn't seem like the kind of thing that two airlines about to go to war with each other uh, would do. If anything, they appear to be growing uh, somewhat closer uh, then you had United start its uh, San Francisco-Singapore flights, and Singapore, I was going to say retaliating, doing at least what sort of looked like a retaliation or at least a defensive move, uh, very quickly starting its own flights uh, from San Francisco, from Singapore to San Francisco years earlier than it had planned to do. You know, uh, Air Airbus already agreed to pronounce it, to produce rather a special longer range version of the A350-900 that would uh, enable that route with a full payload of cargo. 
Uh, Singapore Airlines uh, uh, said instead, no, we'll go ahead and do that with our existing A350s. That, that, 350-900s might have to take some weight penalties, you know, essentially not fly with a full load of cargo or, or not sell all the seats, but still worth doing. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, both airlines will be flying that route in competition against each other. I mean, they're not in a joint venture and yet with the ability to code share both of them uh, beyond those hubs, not only those hubs, but, uh, uh, you know, practically speaking, where you would see the most kind of that activity would be somebody connecting off a United flight, let's say in Singapore, and onto somewhere else in, in Southeast Asia or beyond, or someone getting off a Singapore Airlines flight in San Francisco and connecting onto United's domestic network. You mentioned they're not in a JV. Could they someday form one? Jason, I think we have to be careful of the power of our words on this show, because you once asked me uh, a question just like that about, uh, United and Air New Zealand, and I said, "Oh, you know, maybe someday." And I think it was the following week that they announced that they were uh, <laughs> that they were indeed going to pursue a uh, a JV. Uh, not and we're and we're never going to let anybody forget. That. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know whether lightning strikes twice here, um, but I, I mean, you 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 could imagine it uh, making sense. Uh, that's a that's a look when you're talking about markets uh, with that length of haul, a market that you can, as we just said a minute ago, barely fly nonstop. You know, the demand is always going to be somewhat limited. Okay. This is the, you know, this is never going to be like, uh, you know, the American airlines, British airways joint venture, let's say, um, you know, most notably between London and New York, other points too, of course, uh, where you've got just this giant, you know, very dense corporate travel market. You know, you just don't have as much demand in that market, but that is a, that's a sizable corporate travel market. Uh, you know, two two nice economies there. Uh, if you talk just about San Francisco and Singapore, you know, and obviously it would be much broader than that. You'd be talking about being able to sell uh, joint itineraries with sort of that as a trunk route, perhaps other, uh, almost certainly others, also eventually as 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 trunk routes. And uh, so, sure, you know, you 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 could envision that. Uh, look, there would have been a time a few years ago where I would say, nah, probably not, because Singapore Airlines for. for for most of its history, was sort of leery of getting too close to other airlines, very protective of its brand and product and, and uh, sort of reticent to sell tickets on flights operated by other airlines. But that's largely gone out the window. You know, they're, they're um, happy to partner when it makes sense. Uh, and so, yeah, could, could this be the prelude to, um, to some kind of a filing, especially, as I said, you know, given the fact that that they clearly have grown, at least in some regards, closer with the uh, w- with the new code share, the ability to code share anyway. Yeah. Stranger things have indeed happened. Sticking with the United, but uh, setting aside Singapore for a second, uh, United had an investor conference call in which they laid out plans to create more than three billion dollars in incremental value. They provided a list of improvements to be made on the commercial front and to their cost structure and on the operational front. Seth, how much of this would you file under easier said than done? Yeah, some of it easier said than done. And, and some of it sort of already announced. Um, you know, they, they had announced this investor call that you mentioned. Um, and I think some people sort of wondered, you know, was there going to be some big new initiative? Uh, you know, was the company going to somehow go in a in a different direction? And their CEO at the top of the call was very clear in saying that that's not what this was. You know, this was uh, this was communication with investors. Uh, you know, some uh, some investors have been frustrated that United maybe wasn't as communicative as it could have been. So they said, "Look, we're giving you an update on 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 where things are going." And so, uh, yeah, I mean, a few uh, you know, a few little tidbits. They mentioned, "Look." 
we were just talking about San Francisco. That's San Francisco, Singapore indeed has been booking well. Uh, San Francisco, Tel Aviv, they said doing well. I mean, it seems like everything's doing well uh, these days in, in San Francisco. And, and, you know, definitely a big change for United is all the capacity that's kind of reallocated there. Uh, it's its fastest growing hub. Um, and, and so, um, you know, beyond that, they basically said, look, uh, things are moving in the right direction, uh, but just maybe not quickly enough. Uh, you know, they've had a lot of scope for improvement. Certainly, you mentioned operationally uh, that's gotten better. They are upgaging their fleet uh, in a rather dramatic way over a period of a few years. You know, their average uh, short haul aircraft is going to have like 15 more seats that's as they retire 50 seaters uh you know and just just generally densify their cabins take larger aircraft uh so that puts downward pressure on unit costs uh, which is always a good thing you know when you can manage to just have more seats per departure you know just just lowers the cost of carrying each passenger or each seat rather each mile uh but on the other hand they did express some worry about that as they do that as they sort of have more seats per departure and in some cases have 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 just fewer departures to make up for it. Good on the cost side, but perhaps not so good on the revenue side. I, you could tell very clearly that uh, you know international, they're still rather happy with their position. Uh, domestically, they've seen a lot of share shift away from them. Uh, so, Jason, if you think about some domestic markets where you know where they compete, oh gosh, at a, let's say a, an extreme, a place like you know Houston, Dallas, where uh, you know Southwest flies at dozens of times a day, uh, you know, as United upgages and perhaps takes frequencies out in certain markets, it, it becomes, if anything, less competitive in terms of its, of its schedules uh, to, to a corporate customer. So it has to get the mix right. Um, certainly do all the right things on the cost side, which involves the upgaging uh, and, and the densification, and the rest of it, but also protect the revenue side, having the schedules uh, you know, talked a lot about schedule utility, uh, schedules that appeal to uh, corporate customers. But it feels like it is turning the corner. It says that it is beginning to shift back some of the corporate share at its hubs that it had lost in recent years. All right, let's move across the Atlantic. If the Brexit happens, that is, if the UK votes on Thursday to exit the European Union, which is the bigger concern for airlines? The impact that the Brexit could have on open skies agreements or simply the potential economic downturn that the UK could experience if the Brexit happens? Well, first of all, that, that's a good way to frame it, because that really is, those are the two categories of, of, of issues, um, you know, the impact per se on air service agreements, and, and then then the, the broader impact. I, I mean, look, you have to imagine that if, if Brexit does, does indeed happen, uh, that the that the UK is going to, by and large, uh, you know, stay within all the various regimes, uh, uh, you know, particularly, well, most prominently US, EU open skies, but well, even even more importantly at all, just sort of within the, the common aviation area in, in Europe. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's precedent for that. Look, countries that are not in the European Union, but but that uh, are in the open skies regime and in the uh, and in the common area, I'm talking about, you know, Norway and Iceland and so forth. So, you know, there's every reason to think that, uh, that, you know, it could be just a formality and saying, well, yeah, sure. It'll all just kind of go on aviation wise as, as things have been. But, uh, this is, has been well documented in all the coverage of this. Uh, this is all unprecedented. I don't know how you would unscramble that egg. I mean, there, 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 you know, there, there's no 
precedent for sort of trying to close uh, skies in a way that would be required to to not have things, you know, be the way they are right now. But we'll see, you know, who, who knows? You know, I, I think the answer to your question is that the broader economic uh, impact would, would, would be the bigger story. Uh, you know, if there's a recession in the UK and Europe and if it spreads elsewhere in the world, that would have certain impact. I mean, that, you know, if if the if the worst fears are to be believed, you know, there's there's no way that this wouldn't have a um, at least a rather significant economic impact, although, you know, debate the details of how bad it would be. Um, and if that happens, well, then it's very simple math. I mean, the, you know, the fortunes of the airline industry are, uh, you know, tied well on the cost side, sort of to fuel prices, oil prices. And on the revenue side to, to GDP growth. And so if we're saying there's going to be a recession to one degree or another, then that will impact the airline. Now, by the way, uh, I, I sort of said, oh, by the way, fuel prices. Now, you know, one one thing is that, OK, you know, if there's if there's a recession, uh, if currencies, uh, you know, collapse the pound and the euro and so forth, uh, well, then guess what happens? That would also put downward pressure on oil prices. So um, uh, on the cost side, at least, perhaps uh, some relief particularly for U.S. airlines that, uh, that you know, primarily trade in dollars and would be buying cheaper oil. Obviously, the airlines in Europe and, and the U.K. Would, would not get the full benefit of falling fuel prices because their own currencies presumably uh, would, would be weakening. But, uh, you know, having said that, nobody's, you know, no airline is, 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 is publicly rooting for Brexit. There have been those that have um, been very outspoken against it and others that have just been quieter but uh you know i, I don't think it's an experiment that uh, very many airlines are are uh, willing to make even if it would mean you know perhaps on the cost side perhaps in terms of fuel prices uh some relief there but um we'll see all the polls of course showing that it's going to be a very very close vote and how will the brexit affect singapore airlines seriously I'm just joking. Uh, talking about the UK economy, uh, you said recently that if the UK were to go from being a hot spot to a trouble spot, that airlines would have trouble reallocating capacity. Can you expand on that a bit? Well, it's just that there's there are a lot of trouble spots in the world, right? So, so it's not that there are these other obvious opportunities. Uh, you know, right now uh, the transatlantic market has held up reasonably well. In fact, by the way, you asked me before about uh, United's call today. One thing they mentioned uh, is that the second quarter, if anything, is shaping up to come in a little bit better uh, than they had previously expected, uh, precisely because of uh, transatlantic demand. I mean, even though yields everywhere under pressure, basically holding up uh, better than they thought. And so, uh, you know, if that were to become more of a problem than it is and you're sort of looking at, all right, well, where where do I fly if you're an airline from elsewhere? Uh, you know, not a lot of, uh, of, of obvious opportunities. And, you know, we've seen in the world that when that happens and when airlines have to reallocate capacity, I'll give you another example, you know, Copa Airlines, you know, long one of the all stars in terms of profitability has had so many things go wrong in various places in Brazil in Venezuela, in Colombia, uh, that, you know, even this rather, you know, dynamic, well-managed airline that, you know, understands, you know, about moving aircraft assets around, it, it sort of ran out of places to put those planes and its profits are indeed uh, under pressure. And so, you know, if all of a sudden things get a lot worse in the UK and, and Europe, uh, you're going to have a lot of airlines that are just, uh, you know, sort of not going to know what to do uh, with all their capacity. Alaska Airlines CEO Brad Tilden told the Associated Press he's, quote, taking a good look at keeping the Virgin America brand 
Sounds to me like Alaska is more afraid of losing that loyal Virgin customer base than I would have thought. Yeah, interesting, because, uh, you know, they did say uh, when they announced the uh, the proposed acquisition that they were going to take a look at that. Uh, but, you know, at the time, you, you could sort of think, well, OK, they would say that. You know, no, no reason to come out uh, the first day and do, well, do what Southwest did when it when it announced it was taking over AirTrans. Sort of said, look. AirTran's going to go away. No more business class. No more XM radio. Uh, uh, no more assigned seating. All those sorts of things. And 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 you know, and, you know, a lot of AirTran's customers, you know, I think kind of bristled at that. So in this case, Alaska, I think more more uh, wisely sort of said, look, every, you know, nothing's off the table. And and you know, we're buying a well liked airline, and we'll take a look at that. I sort of thought that as time went on, they were just going to kind of you know, phase that idea out. Uh, Alaska, after all, I mean, like Southwest, of course, you know, well-liked airline in its own regard. I mean, it's not like here's, it's like you have an airline that people don't like buying one that people do like, just two very different airlines. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, but, but the fact that they're still talking about that, kind of keeping that, uh, that idea alive is, is indeed interesting um, because you would think that if they didn't have any thought of it at all, uh, they would just hope people would forget that they'd said that. And uh, look, I mean, in the end, I'm still a little skeptical just because uh, it would be costly to do. I mean, as as the AP indeed noted, first of all, their their licensing fees. I mean, you you have to pay Richard Branson for the brand, although, you know, hey, everything's negotiable. Uh, And if he doesn't want to see it go away, perhaps they get that on very good terms. But, you know, you'd have to maintain this, this, uh, you know, if you have differently branded planes, you'd have to maintain this sub fleet. We've been talking about sort of the, um, the different cultures there, you know, just corporate cultures. Uh, Well, I mean, are you going to keep your flight attendants flying separately? Uh, That would be very costly. But if you're not going to do that, and you're going to have planes painted two different ways, but you're going to indeed integrate the workforces, well, then, you know, sort of part of the reason for keeping the separate separate brands would, you know, arguably go away. So I don't know. Uh, Look, you know, they are um, probably going to have going to have to have sort of two different general kinds of fleet configurations i would assume there will be more of a short haul product uh with with a business class product for example more like alaska's you know kind of the, the short haul domestic premium cabin uh and, and something else I mean, they haven't said yet but probably some kind of an updated who knows lie flat you know kind of product for transcon to compete against the uh american delta united and, and JetBlue in that market if they do that well then they have sub fleets i i don't know maybe the transcon you know gets called you know, Virgin by Alaska or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all just speculation, obviously. Nothing that they've that they've indicated. But uh, you know, maybe if they feel like they need a subfleet anyway, they could do it. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, but but definitely interesting that there's that they are still talking about that. You made a trip to Denver last week for Airports Council International's Jumpstart event. I bet you rubbed elbows with Frontier. Yeah, they were there. Their CEO Barry Biffle spoke. Uh, he was a keynote speaker. At- Right before yours truly, by the way, I spoke about our, our uh, Delta book. It was, it was uh, a lot of fun. Enjoyed uh, talking about that with people who had already read it and uh, and uh, others interested in doing so. But uh, yeah, you know, basically what you have there are, are, are a lot of air service development people from airports looking for new service. And, uh, and then you have airlines there, you know, and it's, it's basically speed dating. Uh, in the airline industry, uh, sort of like the, you know the routes conferences or the, or the competing ones, and so yeah, it's uh, and look because the U.S. economy is doing reasonably well because air service has been uh, you know growing. Um, in general, you have uh, sort of an air of optimism these days, although it's certainly not growing evenly. 
But yeah, I actually asked uh, Barry um, during a Q&A whether Frontier's recent additions of some day of week specific flying sort of signaled a change. A little more than a year ago, uh, they said they were mostly getting out of a lot of the day of week specific flying, you know, sort of the, the four times a week flying that they had because it was operationally too complex too complex and costly uh, it was just causing all kinds of problems and not not worth it now they've started some of those uh kinds of routes again and i said you know what what happened there was uh was there a change of heart uh you know is it just that their operation improved and so you feel like you could do it again now and, and what he explained is that all of the new day of week flying uh is flying that touches very busy bases uh uh you know denver the busiest of all but atlanta Chicago places like those and and as long as it touches those bases um it's it's uh it's fine operationally not too too costly or too complex as opposed to places where you are flying from one very small base to an even smaller outstation and that's where they uh, got into trouble so anyway you know when you go to these events you you you, you pick up stuff like that you get to uh, ask those kinds of questions and, and sometimes you know hear an interesting answer like that we mentioned in airline weekly this week that frontier once had 90 percent of its capacity touching denver now it's today it's much more diversified that 90 percent figure though astonished me um i remember frontier certainly wasn't strategically balanced but 90 percent <laughs> That just seems like an obvious problem today. Was it obvious back then? Did management just not get it? I guess I'm asking, what were they thinking? Well, no, I mean, they they, they, they knew it. Uh, they talked about it, um, uh, you know, and that, that was largely during, uh, you know, previous ownership, previous management. Um, they did things. I mean, look, you know, the, they, they, they tried to start hubs and focus cities other places, uh, Kansas City and Milwaukee, and, and just nothing else would ever work. Uh, you know, so it was like... The only thing that ever seemed to work was Denver, and they knew it was a strategic vulnerability. I mean, they knew they had all their eggs in one basket, but then they tried to diversify away from it, and and uh, they couldn't do it. So they just sort of kind of kept kicking that can down the road. Now, of course, finally Southwest showed up uh, in Denver, and that was you know largely uh, the undoing of Frontier. I mean, that along with high oil prices, uh, they ended up in in bankruptcy. So uh, now, you know, now it's a very different airline. First of all, its costs are much lower. Uh, so, so you know, one thing is that um, although uh, they are, you know, in some regards now, maybe less less appealing, let's say, to uh, to corporate travel community in Denver uh, and elsewhere. On the other hand, their costs are so low that they can compete, you know, against Southwest in a way that they couldn't in the past when, uh, you know, when, when, when not only were they less mighty than Southwest, but also, you know, just, just not all that cost competitive. Now they are cost competitive against almost everybody. I mean, they, they claim that their unit costs are right down there with spirits. So that's different. They, uh, diversified very rapidly away from Denver in, in the past few years, you know, putting a lot of capacity and other kinds of bases you know trenton new new jersey is a focus city those kinds of things um and they pulled down a lot of their denver capacity and they are now growing it again you know basically they sort of rebalance their network denver is still by far the the, the largest base until their headquarters city uh, uh which was at one point in, in question when you know, indianapolis based republic was the owner but uh, but but not 90 percent again. And they, they they seem to be happy with with where they are now. Um, and, uh, you know, as demonstrated not only by their words, but uh, by the very fact that they are indeed growing again in Denver. By the way, speaking of Denver, I noticed a fun chart in this week's issue because nothing says fun like a chart. <laughs> we had all the U.S. We had all the U.S. states ranked by growth in scheduled seats for the upcoming third quarter compared to the same quarter last year. 
And out of 49 states, the number one was... Colorado, up uh, 12% uh, for this yeah, upcoming third quarter compared to uh, the summer quarter last year, uh, driven largely, of course, by Denver, by far the largest airport in the state. And Seth, why just 49 states? Because Delaware has no scheduled passenger air service. Uh, uh, the last airline that tried and then left, of all things, it, it was in Wilmington, Delaware. That was, yes, Frontier. Ah, nice way to bring everything full circle. Well, uh, I think to bring everything full circle, we'd, we'd need another Singapore Airlines reference, right? Oh, we can do that. <laughs> for Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Remember that time we were walking out of a bar and that guy asked me for $610 million? No. Well, I remember. I felt like it was a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs>